Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here tonight. We are looking at two chapters in Ezra. Yes, we are. And uh, I will be disappointed if we don't finish this tonight, the book of Ezra. In the Old Testament, or the Jewish scriptures, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are the same book. You just finish chapter 10, and they don't have chapters. They were added to the English Bibles, or the, the Protestant Bibles. And not in the Protestant Bibles, the Christian Bibles. Uh, over the years, but uh, so when you finish Ezra chapter 10, you just turn the page and you got Nehemiah chapter 1 in the Hebrew Bible, so uh, obviously it comes next on our, on our timeline, uh, but, but we'll be doing that next week and I'm excited about that, but I am also excited about tonight's class, uh, what we're going to basically do is just read through the notes, which is the scripture with a few comments on it. But what's important is to get these dates kind of established right here as we read through this. We already know when Ezra leaves, and we've talked about this in chapter uh, 7 and chapter 8, he leaves Babylon on April 8th, 458. Uh, By August 4th, he arrives in Jerusalem. So they're in Jerusalem, August 4th, 458. They take, you know, three days off. And then there's, at the end of chapter 8, we're going to see... One, two, three things that are said. That's how we're going to start tonight. Uh, the first thing you're going to do, they're going to count the treasure and make sure it's all recorded and, and, and accounted for. Uh, two, they're going to sacrifice in the temple. And then three, the last line in chapter 8, it says that the directions or Artaxerxes' orders were taken and, and handed out, or Ezra made known Artaxerxes' will or purpose and this may involve travel it doesn't say that but he remember was given directions that was sent for the trans euphrates judea is a very small province or a satrapy right now uh in 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 the persian empire it's recognized as judea even on coins persian coins it's written judy you can find ancient coins persian coins that recognize it as a province. It's 35 miles to the north up to Bethel. I don't have a map here. 35 miles south to uh, Beersheba, 25 miles to the east to Jericho, and 25 miles uh, to the west is the territory. Then uh, north of that is going to be Samaria, and then you've got the Ammonites and different cultures around it, different provinces. Well, Nehemiah, or excuse me, Ezra was given directions not for Judah, but remember that, that phrase, the trans-Euphrates, everything on this side, the, the territory on this side of the Euphrates River, which kind of gives you the impression, it's like, he, he's got, remember, Artaxerxes has a revolt going on in Egypt, and he wants to make sure he's got Judah established, and he's sending Ezra over there to make sure that they're following the Jewish law, and also following the laws of the Persians. And so it is possible, as, as we close down chapter 8, they count out the treasure, it's all written down, and a copy most likely is sent back to Artaxerxes. Everything arrived accordingly. Sacrifices were made on the temple mount after the treasures were counted. And then we'll read that verse. And then the directions were given to the, the governors, the satraps of the, the Persian that were appointed by the Persians so they could see Artaxerxes' latest commission. That may explain why we've got four and a half months before this problem, which is going to consume the rest of the book, the problem is brought to Ezra's attention. Why 
I mean, does he not know this? What, what, he's living in the city in Judea, in Jerusalem, for four and a half months. And all of a sudden it's like, what? What's going on? Uh, it may be he got the treasure, he got the sacrifices, everybody's moving in, and he's, got, he's under the king's orders. He's bringing directions. Now he possibly, and again, that's how I'm going to explain it. Now he arrives back sometime in December, and some of the leaders come to him and say, hey, we've, we've got a problem that we should probably address. Your vision of having everyone follow the law of Moses, many of our leaders are themselves and the people of Israel have begun to intermarry with the nations around. Now, this is not a racial statement. It is, you can see the text, it's going to say, the holy seed. They've mingled the holy seed. And it's not just the seed, you know, the, 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 whatever their nationality is. It's the holy seed. Because even God himself, once they stop being holy, they're out. So they're a chosen people, chosen to be holy. That chosen is to be holy. Once they stop being holy, he'll, he'll get rid of them. And so it's not an issue of racial identification. It's an identification of a race that has been chosen to follow the law. And the only way you're going to exist is if you follow the law. And God is going to make sure that he preserves a remnant. In fact, that's what he's brought back from Babylonian captivity, a remnant. And when we talk about the remnant, it's going to be important in these verses. The remnant is those that have returned back to the promised land to follow the law to continue the holy seed. Well, what about those that are still in Babylon? Let's just say Esther and her family. They would, in the technical sense, not be the remnant. They're, they're Jewish, but they're not the remnant that have returned to restore Jerusalem, the law of Moses, and the holy seed. They're still in Babylon or wherever they've gone to, in, in Egypt. They may identify as Jewish, but in this story tonight... The remnant is the holy seed that has returned. Ezra's been sent by Artaxerxes to make sure that they follow the law of Moses, that they are the people. And by marrying in with other groups, say, and again, they're talking about foreign wives. And these foreign wives, would, and we've, we've read about it, we've gone through great detail, they carried over. And it's not like it happened lo a long time ago. They were corrupt in 605. Uh, Israel had been overrun by Gentiles, uh, by the, when the Assyrians brought in the deportation. And so they brought in all kinds of the different gods. They have child sacrifices. They have all kinds of sexual practices in their temples. And they also worship Yahweh. The, the Gentiles, the pagans, don't have any trouble setting up a little statue of Yahweh. Here's Nebo. Here's Amarduk. Here's, here's Yahweh. We, what, what, bring them in. They, they worship them all. But then those worshiping systems, those styles get mingled together. And that is exactly what Ezra has come to preserve the law of Moses. And so, after four and a half months, we're not sure. It doesn't say why. I'm saying he was traveling. He was busy, maybe not even in Jerusalem or Judea. He was going around handing out these commissions from Artaxerxes. Here's what we're doing in Judea. It's identified in December of 458, the same year they come back. And then... A committee is, f f uh, uh, this, then there's a process, we'll read about it, of Ezra's mourning and weeping and wailing, pulling out his hair. Uh, then a committee is formed. He, he's going to say, we're going we're to solve this problem. And they all get together, and then they say, listen, we can't solve this problem today. 
uh, and it's going to be December. It's going to be, they're on the Temple Mount. It's going to be raining. It's cold. They're terrified because of what Ezra said to them, that they've already been in judgment in Babylon. They know that they can be judged by God because they just got back from judgment. And they're terrified of God, and so they're trembling, it says. And they're also trembling because it's raining, a downpour, in the coldest months of, of, of Jerusalem. And they're shaking, both in fear and in physically. And they say, we need to get this organized. And so they, they appoint a committee, almost like a democracy. Ezra says, this is what we need to take care of. Find some people. They're going to oversee it. And then they're going to spend between December 29th, this investigating committee, and March 27th of 457. Now, the, the months are given in the text of Scripture. The first day of the first month what well, ends up being March 27, 457, is they have the conclusion, and they're going to have found right around 110, 115 men. That, that's how the book of Ezra ends, a listing of the men and their families they come from who have married foreign women. And the ideal is the women are sent away, and some of them, it says, had children, and the children go away. And they try to, they're trying now to preserve uh, the Holy Seed. And it's not, it's not a racial issue. It's that these women have, are Gentiles, are pagans, and they've married into the Holy Seed. And if you've got a father who's Jewish and you've got a mother who's Samaritan or worships a different God, they're going to have an influence. And uh, the next generation is going to be watered down. It's going to be compromised. And now you're right back to where you were in the old time. I mean, you just, you, all you do is just rewind history. And Ezra's going to point out in the prayer, our fathers have struggled with this throughout the ages. Now again, as we go into this, and I might got to get to the text, otherwise we're not going to get through two chapters. Um, there are foreign women in, welcomed into Israel, but in every case, and sometimes they're, they're the heroes of the faith. They have converted. They've become, they've joined the Jewish culture. They've joined, the, they're Yahweh worshipers. They've forsaken their family. Just like Abraham left his father and his father's household and followed God, these people have left their fathers and their household, their cultures, their religion, and have joined with Yahweh. And so uh, I think we will assume that these women that are being sent away have not been proselytized. They have not converted to Judaism They've just married in because of business reasons, because of, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's not a lot of women available, you know, because of, of the migration of people back. We're, we're short on Levites. Uh, they may, may need, you know, daughters to marry. And they're making a compromise. Nonetheless, it's a harsh thing, uh, but they're going to be sent away. Interestingly, also, if we won't get into it tonight, but right at the same time, you see Malachi right here, 432. We're talking, uh, you know, 20, 25 years after this event. You know what uh, Malachi writes? He writes that great verse. They're not a great verse. It's a verse, but it's like it's the f famous verse always used. God says, I hate divorce. And so it's interesting. Ezra's going to bring about or separate all these families. And about 30 years later, Malachi writes about, I hate divorce. And it's, it's, and it talks about violence in the home and how, and I think he's talking about probably more abusive uh, social oppression that's taking place in Israel in Malachi's day. But it is interesting that right after we read this, we, by the time we get to the book of Malachi, they're, uh, 
there's uh, that verse. Okay, uh, on your notes, and I'm, I'm going to lay my Bible down, my NIV Bible. I'm laying it down because I've got the English Standard Version here, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm, I've got eight pages of notes I want to show you. Let's walk through them. Two chapters. I'm reading in, first of all, at the very top of the page, you've got those dates written there, those numbers. On the right side of the page, I've got the verses identified. First, the problem is identified. Then, what after that, in verse 4, Ezra's public response. When he hears the problem, this is going on, there you've got a couple verses of what he does. Tearing his clothes, throwing himself down, pulling his hair publicly. And then you've got chapter 9, verse 6, him saying, and now you've got his prayer. Uh, going all the way down to from verse 6 to verse 15, and it's a very revealing prayer <coughs> of how he views this situation. And then that takes us all the way to the end of chapter 9. In chapter 10 of Ezra, verse 1, while Ezra prayed, the people have gathered around because he's got a. Now, this is not just, you know, a nobody. This is Ezra, the great scribe, with papers from Artaxerxes on a royal mission and a divine mission. Uh, and he has kind of brought a bunch of the exiles back. So he's a, what we'd say, a power player. But he's weeping and wailing on the Temple Mount. So everybody's like, what is going on? They're going to gather around, and they're going to join him. And that's where it says the people gather around Ezra on the Temple Mount. And then in verse 2, there's going to be Shechaniah, an individual, that's going to speak up and say, hey, what we need to do is fix this. We're going to make a covenant and ever have everyone swear an oath that they will not marry foreign women and marry into these other cultures. Again, it's not a racial thing. It's, a, it, well, it's no different than you would not want your children marrying an atheist. I, I don't care what culture they're from, but I don't want an atheistic daughter-in-law raising my children, my grandchildren. It's like, what, are you prejudiced? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I guess, yeah, I am. I'm prejudiced against what I consider false ideologies. Not racist. Not, they're different. It's not a racial thing. I don't care what race it is. Are you following Yahweh? Are you a Christ follower? Yes. Well, welcome to family. Well, you're an atheist. I don't believe in God. I think we evolved from monkeys, but I'm going to raise your grandchildren. Not really excited about that. What's wrong? You prejudiced? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want my grandchildren in hell. It's like... You know, I don't care, you know, the right, you understand the idea. That's the context here. So they're going to have, form a, have a covenant, and then they're going to have the people taken off. Now, again, this is, it seems oppressive, but it's the people's idea. Let's make a covenant, and everyone here in, our, in Judea swear that they're going to follow the covenant. They will not, and it's not new. It's in the law of Moses. We're just going to follow this. We need to make this improvement. And so they're going to have the people form, take an oath. And then verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 6, Ezra's private fasting. Now he goes off away. Now he's been on the Temple Mount. All this has been taking place on Temple Mount right here on this in December, 458. He goes off fast by himself. The next page, uh, the next thing they do in verse 7 is a proclamation to assemble. There's going to be an assembly. Everyone is going to assemble on this date right around December 29th, the middle of December, or yeah, and we can see that there. And they're going to say, we're going to solve this problem. All Judea assembles. That's verse 9. And then Ezra speaks to the assembly, and the assembly is going to agree with him, verse 12 through 14. 
And they say, what we can't do is, uh, uh, well, okay. And then verse 15, there's going to be a little bit of a resistance. There's four men that are going to resist the idea. We don't know why. Uh, maybe they disagree with it. Maybe they want to get busy building the temple. We don't have time for all this family business. Let's build the temple. I don't think that's it. Uh, it's probably they just don't like Ezra's bossing them around. It doesn't say why, but there's, there's opposition. Um, then verse 16, uh, the returned exiles did so, and the priests selected men, and now they're going to assemble. Ha- they can't take care of it that day. They say, let's t- get an assembly of people, choose some men, and they'll investigate. Basically, they're going to investigate everybody's marriage. Your certificate, where's your background, where'd you come from? Okay, and then they start compiling a list, and then beginning in chapter 10, verse 18, you've got a list of all the men who had married foreign women. First, the priest, the priest that had married foreign women. And then you're going to have a list of Levites. And then the, one, of the, one of them was one of the singers, one of the praise and worship leaders. Then you're going to have three gatekeepers. And then the people of Israel, just from <coughs> the different groups, and it gives the sons of Perosh, and then it gives their names, and Elam, and that's right in the text of Scripture, just page after page of, and again, it looks bigger here than it does in your Bible, it just gives you just, that's why I wrote it this way, so you can kind of get a feeling for it. One commentator says there's 110, I counted them, and I got like 113, but I was counting them on my computer screen, so now you can do your own counting right there, and the last verse is, all these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even born children. That's the end of the book of Ezra. The ideal is these marriages were broken up, the children were sent away, and you've got to marry a Jewish woman. You've got to marry a woman of the same faith because we've been restored for Yahweh worship. In other words, and one of the big things that we see here that that really kind of struck me was, and when Ezra starts praying, is he's there for national revival he's there for the group the committee not the committee the community uh he sees himself as something bigger than an individual for myself or us in the western world we're more individualistic so it's like they can all go astray but now what i'm interested in is my personal relationship with jesus christ have you confessed your sins are you walking in the light as he is in light okay this is what i'm worried about now, when I see my nation, I see my community, I see members of my family, uh, I see, you know, a church, it's kind of like, well, pff, you're wrong, I'm right, and I continue my happy way in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Ezra, we're going to assume, obviously has a relationship with Yahweh. We can see all of his words, his writing. He's being led by Yahweh. But when he gets here, all of a sudden, and they're sinning, it's not like, well, pff, that's not right. I'm, you shouldn't be doing that. It's like a personal problem. It's because it's my group. It's my family. It's my church. It's my community. It's my nation. And he begins to, you know, feel grief as if he himself has sinned and starts trying to figure out how am I going to fix this problem, which again makes sense. We understand that. But it's, it, it, as an individual, you, you know, I'm just used to marching my own little way like this. Instead of like the group has gone astray, it's like, well, leave them in the dust and just keep right on going. Ezra's like, I can't. He has, there's nothing for Ezra. In his worldview, Ezra is a priest, is a scribe. He's coming back to restore Jerusalem. Yeah, but Ezra, if they don't want to be restored, you'll be fine. It's like, 
I'm a member of the community of Israel, the chosen people. This is historically, we've got to keep these people on track. And so he can't imagine a life as an individual believer without having his community coming along with him. And again, that is something that, at least myself, I read this and it's like, it's real obvious uh, Ezra couldn't live the way I live. It's kind of like, well, I'm going this way. Come along with me. You don't want to come, <laughs> whatever. I'm going this way. Uh, he's like, you're, you're going the wrong way. I have no purpose. See, I, I can see purpose for myself moving closer to Christ. But Ezra, it appears, there's no purpose in him continuing if I don't bring the community. You see, Moses do the same thing. God says, I'm going to destroy these people. And I'll start over with you. Moses says, well, kill me, but don't, don't take the, the, the whole idea is the community. Which again, uh, I don't know if you, if you can understand that or you sense a, diff, a, a separation from that. But I, it's definitely in here, I think. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read through these. I got some comments. Wish me luck. We're going to read through chapter 9 and 10 of Ezra. And here's the dates. We are, you can kind of follow the dates. You've got on the top of the page for a reference. Oh, I know. I need my Bible. It says, very first line, chapter 9, or verse, chapter 9, verse 1, after these things. And I was going to read the last part of chapter uh, 8. And just show you those three. The last part of chapter 8. Um, chapter 8, verse 33. On the fourth day of the house of God, we weighed out the silver, the gold, the sacred articles into the hands of Merimoth, son of Uriah, the priest. Eleazar, son of Phinehas, was with him, and so were the Levites, Jazadad, Jazabad, son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, son of Benua, uh, Benui. Everything was accounted for by number and weight, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. That's one thing. Second, then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings, many of them they brought with them, to the God of Israel, 12 bulls, uh, all for Israel, 99, or 96 rams, 77 male lambs, and a, as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All of this was a burnt offering to the Lord. That's number two. And now here's that third one, which kind of slides under the radar. They also delivered the king's orders. They delivered. Now, maybe right there in town they delivered them, but it doesn't, Artaxerxes wasn't say, take these to Jerusalem, take these to Judea, take these to the officials of Trans-Euphrates. That's every, all the provinces on this side. So they also delivered the king's orders, that would be the paperwork from Artaxerxes, to the royal satraps, those would be over the provinces, and that right there nullifies the fact that they're taking it to the governor of Judea because that would be one satrap. Uh, there would be others. Samaria is a satrap. All there's different provinces or satraps, territories, and to the governors of Trans-Euphrates. And the, the satraps or would be the province, and the satrap sometimes is called the governor. So that would be the, the territories and the governors of all these other provinces. That's everywhere else but Judea who then gave assistance to the people and to the house of God. So all those other provinces, when they got their information, they, of course, not because they love Israel, maybe they do, not because they care about Jerusalem, maybe they do, but because they got paperwork from 
Artaxerxes and says, this is what we're doing now. We're working on Judea. Okay, and here's our contribution. And they assisted the people. And after four and a half months, Ezra returns to Jerusalem and says, okay, got everybody on Trans-Euphrates on board. Let's get this up and running. We're going to start following the law of Moses. So, how's things going? Where are we at? And now begins chapter 9. <clears throat> so this was, again, a, a, I, I went, I'm presenting it. He shows up. Everything's work good. He's got the, the treasures. He's got the sacrifices, all the paperwork. The whole trans-Euphrates says, go Judea. All right. And Ezra shows up. How's my people? After these things had been done, chapter 9, verse 1. Now I'm going to go to the English Standard Version right here. The officials approached me. Notice this is in first person. These are his memoirs. Approached me and says, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. And right there, they haven't said, in other words, they're letting our culture just mingle right back in with the culture. We're going to be right back where we were when the Assyrians took out northern Israel and we had to face Sennacherib. The people haven't separated. And that, that's just a general statement. The key phrase is going to be, the key initiative is that they're starting to marry them. So they're never going to go away. A um, couple things to point out. It's the priests and Levites have not separated themselves. So the leaders, the religious leaders, are the first ones going astray. The second thing, after, especially after class last night, the abomination that causes desolation, the abomination, which means this this, defi this activity, if it be an idol, if it be a philosophy, a, a religious worship system, that's the abomination. That's when it's brought into the temple or brought in, it, sh it null nullifies it. You have to shut it down. It defiles it. You cannot use this temple anymore. If you bring a pig in and offer it on the altar in front of the temple, shut the doors. Even in the book of Acts, when Paul, and he didn't, but Paul was accused of bringing a Gentile into the courts of where the Jews are supposed to go, they say, he brought a Gentile in here, quick. And they shut the temple doors, they shut it down, cleared the temple mount, and Paul was arrested because they thought a Gentile had walked through an entrance that he shouldn't have walked through. And so that is an abomination that in, in Mark, Matthew, Luke, or Mark and Matthew, an abomination, Daniel refers to it, that causes desolation. Something is going to happen on the temple mount that shuts it down. Now, there's that word abominations, and it says the peoples of the lands with their abominations. That would be their idols, their philosophies, their worldview, their religious practices. All of that will shut down the practice of the law of Moses. You can't, it's defied. It's defiled. It's no longer useful. And so uh, the very fact that they're going there and not separating means you're already shutting, the, you're ready to shut down the temple that you just got started on, just got opened up. Uh, the list uh, of the names are very familiar. Somewhere on here, point five. The list of foreign peoples that we read is very familiar. It's right out of the law of Moses. It's the same thing he told Joshua and Moses. The difference is the Hivites are no longer on the list. So this is an updated list for 458 B.C. Uh, and not fabricated. The Hivites are no longer a people. They're not intermarrying with the Hivites. But added to this are the Ammonites, the Moabites, and Egyptians. They were not on the original list, but they are on this list. Because these are now, the, so some of it has carried over, some of it's gone away, some of it's had an addition. And again, I point out point six there, the abominations. Okay, 
Chapter 9, verse 2. This is still the identifying of the problem. For they had taken some of the daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, and that the holy race was, has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men had been foremost. The phrase right there, you see right there, holy race, that, that is in the literally, I've got that in the footnote there, or the notes, holy seed. It's the seed, but it has been set apart. It's not because of a racial issue. It's this race has, is holy, set apart for God, set apart. That's why the Gentiles don't have to follow the Jew. That's why it's so easy for Paul, when they start talking about it, it's really black and white right here. You can even see it here. The Gentiles are not called to worship in the temple. They're not called to follow the laws of the dietary laws. They're not called to all these things the Jews do because this is something this race, this holy seed does is they've been set apart. Now, when, when their work is done, not, it's not done, but through them is going to come the Messiah, you know, right from Abraham. All nations will be blessed through this holy seed will be blessed. Now the Messiah's come. Now the other Gentiles can come to God through Jesus, not through the law of Moses. The law of Moses was for the seed of Israel to remain wholly separated so they could provide the way of salvation for the rest of the world. And so right here you can see the whole thing starting to deteriorate. And that again, without, it's not so that the race of Jews has mixed itself with the people. That's not what it says. It says the holy seed. They're special because they've been set apart for God. If they want to go and follow the Gentile gods, well, there's, you're, you're nothing special. It's you and your separation from God that makes you separate. Again, the same thing can be applied to our times now, except from a different angle. Chapter 9, verse 3. As soon as I heard this, as soon as Ezra, I heard this, here's what he does. I tore my garment, meaning he rips his clothes, and my cloak, that would be his outer coat, and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Try that at home. Pulled hair out of his head. It's a sign of grief. If it's done to somebody else, like in Isaiah or Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going to enforce this on others. Ezra does it to himself. It's a sign of grief or it can be a sign of punishment. Uh, but yeah, he is pulling hair out of himself. I mean, he's pulling hair out of his pulling hair out of his beard, and he's not doing it. He's, he's not throwing a temper tantrum. He's not like a two-year-old over here rolling around on the floor. We've all seen that somewhere, some kid banging his head against the floor. It's like, oh, look, he's grieving. He's throwing a temper tantrum. He's out of control. There's no grief or remorse. He's not getting his way. Ezra is not having a temper, temper tantrum. He's showing a public sign of grief, and everyone is watching him uh, pulling his hair out, tearing his clothes, and sat appalled that he had heard this. He had come back to, you know, build the nation, and here he is. Now, it's public. He's on the Temple Mount. We're going to find out he's on the Temple Mount in the open area. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. So if this happened in the morning, happened right after lunch, He's been on the Temple Mount pulling his hair, pulling his beard, torn clothes, grieving, wailing, and it would be loud wailing. Uh, 
however long it is, until the evening sacrifice. He's waiting for the evening sacrifice because once they make that sacrifice, he's now going to turn this mourning into confession of sin. I mean, you could be confessing your sin the whole time, but you're going to need a sacrifice to make it, in a sense, effective. So, and they gather around him. Now, when it says the return to exiles, that will cover the entire 80 years from 538. And it was those that came back with Zerubbabel. But there's been different groups return at different times. It would include the people that came back with him. But it would be all, everyone in Judea is a returning exile. Um, and they gathered around. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, upon evening okay, verse 5. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting, so he hadn't been eating all day, with my, now he didn't come, come to the temple that day fasting. He came to the temple that day, how's things going? Not real good. And he goes into this. With my garment and my cloak still torn, and I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. Now remember, he's a priest, so he's going to have a little more mobility in the temple than just the average Israelite man. So he's up there by the altar, by the sacrifice, and now he's turned his grief into, you know, confession on his knees, hands spread out in, in the air. People are still looking in. Some of them are standing around him. And now here comes his prayer, saying, <clears throat> and again, there's a lot packed in here, and I'll try to, he goes, first he begins in the first person, oh my God, I am ashamed and blush, and that's a good translation, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. Now, he's ashamed because of the people he's part of. He himself should be like, hey, you know, I come as a righteous man, you know, following your law, and I'm going to intercede for these people. He doesn't see him as himself as an individual who's been following the law of Moses and these losers. He sees himself as a member of this community that has gone into rebellion again. And it's like, I'm coming to God as a member of this nation, and uh, come, uh, I blush to lift my face to you, my God. Now watch this transition. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. In the extreme terms, their, 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 their sins, their guilt, high as their heads, high as the heavens, and it's our. Now when he says our, he is not just talking about this event. You're going to see him right here. He's going to go way back to the beginning, and he's going to be referring to the sins of the wilderness generation, the sins of the generation going through all the kings, the last generation of Zedekiah. He's naming all those sins, and now that they've been, he's going to say, and now that we've been given a chance to come back, you showed favor through the Persian kings, here we are just adding to it. I mean, he's still feeling guilty for the sins of, now remember, Ezekiel says, a son is not punished for the sins of his father. Because a lot of the people would be saying during Ezekiel's day, oh, the reason we're suffering is because our fathers were so wicked. He says, that's not why you're suffering. He says, if a father sins and a son sees it and repents, he will not suffer for his father's sins. But in this case, they're, gonna, they're, they're joining, the, they're hooking their wagon up to their father's sin. So if your grandfather sins and your father sins, and then you continue that sin well yeah you're suffering for the sins of your fathers and your grandfathers because you're still doing them but if you would break that cycle and that's what ezekiel's talking about because the people were suffering they say oh it's not our fault it's our fathers were wicked 
He says, no, that's not how God operates. He's going to punish you because of your sin. If you break away from your father, you're free. The problem is you haven't broken away from your father's sins. So that you get that, keep that in mind as we read through this when he starts talking about the father's sins. Uh, point one and two, I talk about in the ideal of the individual. Uh, chapter nine, verse seven. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. I mean, he's talking way back in Old Testament history. And for our iniquities, what happened? Our kings and our priests have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands. Assyrian kings, Sennacherib, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kings, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. Look at us. We're still in Babylon captivity. We just got back. We're still servants of the Persian king. We're basically, this, he and the people, we're basically slaves of Artaxerxes. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant. And that's what I'm saying. The remnant is for a moment. The Persian kings, Artaxerxes, has, beginning with Cyrus, has shown us favor. Babylonian kings oppress us, the Assyrian kings. But all of a sudden, they're like, hey, you want to go back and rebuild your temple? Well, yeah. Well, that's God. Just like God worked through Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Assyrians. Now he's working through the Persian kings. They say God gave us a little window of opportunity, a little chance for a remnant to come back. And that's why, again, if you're still in Babylon, you're not part of this remnant. You should be here if you've chosen to do that. Verse 8, But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place, this temple in Jerusalem, that our God might brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. We're, we're building up. We're, we're getting restored for greater things that God's got planned while we're still occupied by the Persians. And that kind of explains some of those things there. Chapter 9, verse 9, for we are slaves. I mean, he rec- we are not an independent nation. He's not here. He's got to be careful because uh, they could get in trouble if all of a sudden, and, and the nations have been accusing them from the very beginning of their return, they're going to rebel against Persia. No, no, no. We're slaves. We are still slaves under the rule of the Persians. But they've given us an opportunity to rebuild our temple. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery. So although we're occupied by the Persians, God is letting us have all these... I mean, Ezra could stop right there and say, I just got back from all the provinces of the trans-Euphrates, and everyone's supporting us. And now we're the, o- we're the only ones not supporting our return. We're, ju- we're going to go right back to the world. But has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia. I mean, it's coming through the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. I mean, he's got the paperwork. We've got, Artaxerxes signed this. No one can mess with it. In fact, they've got to send us money to build our city. And then I come back here, and you're not even participating. Chapter 9, verse 10. And now our God, now he's, now he's talking to God, what shall we say after this? Now I find out they're not even trying. For we have forsaken your commandments. Now he goes to the Old Testament. What commandment have we forsaken? And this is why he's there to teach. Which you commanded by your servants, the prophets. Now again, it's plural, Moses, but the other prophets reiterated it, saying, the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with impurity of the peoples of the lands. And there, there's the word, abominations. 
idol worship, all the false religions and false practices, false philosophies, false world's views, that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. We've been brought out or brought in way back in the past. And you says, don't commingle with these people. Not because they're lower races. They've just got lower thinking. They're, they're, they're pagans worshiping demons. Don't learn that way. Therefore, do not give you... Now, he's still quoting Old Testament principles. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek the peace, their peace or prosperity. Don't try to make a peace treaty with them and protect them. I'm going to destroy them, and I don't want you there with a treaty with them, part of their destruction. That you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. So there he's just saying, this is what we were commanded. This is what I'm here to teach, and we've already violated it. Chapter 9, verse 13. And after all that has come upon us for all our evil deeds and for all our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this. In other words, he says, that's what we were told. We violated it, and we ended up in captivity. Now, we deserve, now this is interesting. He says, Babylonian captivity was bad, but it wasn't as bad as it should have been. The very fact that we survived, you took us there, we prospered there, and you've brought us back is, again, basically the four-generation cycle. If they were saying, if we were a different nation, we would not have survived. For example, that's that verse, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Jacob I've loved, I'll put you in captivity, but I'll always bring you back because I've got a, not I love you, I care about you, I'm emotionally connected. I've got a covenant with you. I'll always bring back a remnant. Esau, when they go through the fourth cycle of judgment, and they finally the fifth judgment comes after the fourth cycle, they're gone. They're not coming back. So what Judah deserved in 605, 597, and 586, they deserved the destruction of the city, the deportation of the people, and just get dissolved into other countries, and you're, they're gone. But instead, they're taken as a group into Babylon, lived in their own little towns, kept their identity, and now they've been coming back over a period of 80 years with Persian oversight so they can build the temple. And that's what Ezra's saying. Uh, After all that has come upon us, our evil deeds, and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved. If they were a pagan country, they would no longer exist. They would not have a nation today if they were a pagan nation. They would have been eliminated from history. Where's the Philistines? They're gone. Deserved and have given us such a remnant. You've given us instead a remnant to continue the covenant because God's name is on the line. Uh, Shall we break your commandments again, intermarry with the people who practice these abominations? And now that we've brought back, that you've restored us like nations are never restored, now should we just, as soon as we get back, say, okay, let's just intermarry with the other nations. And that's exactly what God would do to the Philistines. Where are they? They just intermarried and they're gone. Now that we're back, hey, let's just marry anybody we want to and just dissolve ourselves into the nations. It's like, that's exactly what God has protected us from, and we're not following the law. Would, uh, okay, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant no, nor any escape? Now his prayer continues on page 3. 
O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. So he's on the Temple Mount. He says, but here we are. You've got favor. You, we're a remnant, and we're going to rebuild this, but we've, we've violated the commands. Okay, chapter 10, verse 1. Look at that. That was chapter 9. I'm checking my clock. Ha, huh, 15 minutes to go. Okay, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping, now watch this, casting himself down before the house of God, so the house of God, the temple, he's on the temple mount, and casting himself down is him throwing himself on the ground, and probably getting up on his knees, crying out to God, standing up, throwing himself down. It, it's a repeated action. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's doing a public demonstration of how upset he is. And it's not even personal sin. It's this community that I'm part of. Um, again, he, he has, and I admire that, and I, I don't fully understand it, but he is more consumed with the community. He's the com- something bigger than himself. He's more consumed with that than he is for his own relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, again, I'm not mocking that, but we talk, how is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? It's like, how is your community's relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, not so good. It's like, but you know how the world is. It's like, Ezra's like, we, we need to fix this. He, his identity extends, his personal identity is the community. And I think, at least in, in my case, I'm, I, I have a very easy way of separating myself from groups. I am an individual. And part of that's Western, American. Part of it's my personality. Um, But anyway, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men and women and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. So by the time he gets done with this, it says a a very great assembly has just gathered around to watch. Again, describing he's praying, confessing sin, weeping and wailing loudly. I mean, you can't miss this. If you're in Jerusalem on this day, it's like, yeah, I remember that day. And then someone speaks. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehil, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, comes up to him and says, we have broken faith. Yes. Now, he identified. Now, if he himself has done it, or if he's, again, identifying with the community that has done it. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples the, uh, peoples the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. We can fix this, Ezra. Now, again, this is his idea. We, okay, you, we're right. We're guilty. But there's hope. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God <coughs> to put away all these wives and their children. <coughs> now, this is where, again, in the Western world, in Christianity, with your uh, 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 fa- uh, focus on the family, what's his name? Uh, James Dobson, you know, on your bookshelves. Uh, the answer to this problem is divorce. Let's just separate from these, these wicked women. It's like, and again, that's going to be the answer. But as a Christian, you're looking at it like, what? It's like, I mean, you really got to kind of step back and get out of your own little world and look at the bigger picture here. Uh, because that, he says, this is, his, this is not Ezra's idea. What's interesting, this idea comes from one of the exiles himself and says, we are guilty. We need to take a covenant, which is nothing more than renewing one of the principles of the old covenant. 
you know, because it's already in the, it's already in the law. It's not like something new. Let's just go make back and take this particular part of the law of Moses. We're recommitting to this. Uh, Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives. And again, I can't wrap my mind around this. And their children. All of our children. We're just going to send them away. It's like, okay, the wives maybe, but let's keep the kids and put them in a Christian school and fix them. It's like, nope, they're Gentiles. Get them out. It's like, again, I'm reading the text. I'm going to agree that this is the right thing to do. But there's also that room, you, you're, you kind of sit back and say, is this a little overzealous? The Bible doesn't say that. Not until you get to Malachi, where Malachi then says, I, I hate this. There's another way. Of, and I'm not, even, I'm not even suggesting those things. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it on the table. I'm not supporting that those two are together. I'm going through this. I think this is exactly the right thing to do. Especially because someday I might bump into Ezra in, in eternity, and I don't want to be like, in him like, chew me out or something. And, if he's pulling out his own hair and stuff, what's he going to do to me when he, <coughs> I come in and say, I disagree with Ezra. It's like, Ezra, you're, yeah, that's fine. That's probably not a true situation, but I'm, okay. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God and put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at his commandments. Notice they're trembling at having violated God's commandments the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Let us do exactly what the law of Moses says. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Ezra, you're our leader. You're our priest. Uh, I think we should make a covenant. Now, you're the one who's going to have to do it. Get everybody together and take charge of this. Be strong and get it done. Kind of like Joshua. Be strong and get it done. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said, so they took the oath. So all of Israel, they they make a covenant, might have been a sacrifice, but they all voluntarily follow their own leadership and say, we make an oath, this is wrong, we've got to get rid of these women. Where are they? Well, it's like everybody's, everybody's now like dressing Jewish, talking Jewish, you know, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And it's like, where are these foreign women at? Well, it's it's like, well, let's watch. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God, so he leaves the temple and went to the chamber of Johanahan, the son of Eliashib. Now, a chamber would probably be one of the rooms off the temple. Like, they have different rooms where the different officers would be. So he goes in there, and now he's privately in there, going to spend the night. He's going to continue to pray fast, but now he's private. He's alone. Uh... Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went into the chamber, probably one of the chambers on the Temple Mount, where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exile. So he's still fasting. He's still probably got blood in his hair, on his face. Clothes are still torn. Doesn't look like much of a, you know, leader. Chapter 10, verse 7. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles. This would be everybody had come back over the last 80 years, that they should assemble at Jerusalem. Meaning we're going to now, we took this vow, everyone, we've got to get together, we've got to have a meeting. Now, this sounds extreme. Uh, well, watch this. And that if anyone did not come within three days for this assembly, by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited. So again, you can see Ezra's leading this, but he's got officials and elders. I mean, it, some commentators say it's almost like 
emerging type of democracy, kind of like, here's the vision, and now does everyone agree? It's someone else's idea about the oath. Now these guys are getting together, and they're going to say, we're going to have an assembly, we're going to lay down the law, give everybody a chance to repent, get this right. Now, first of all, you've got to be here within three days. And if you don't come within three days, your property should be forfeited. This would refer to confiscating. It's Jewish property. We take it, and you leave. It would be excommunication. You don't want to be here, then you're a Gentile. Go live with the Gentiles, but we'll keep your stuff. It's, it's um, probably a modified version of capital punishment, probably a modified version of being stoned to death. You would just be exiled to the Gentiles, but we'll keep your stuff. You're no longer part of Israel. You haven't joined us for this meeting. You're not part of the community. I think that, I think you, can see, you can see what it says. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. And I've got that written down there, point two. That's possible within three days because the borders of the province or the satrap of Judea was, you can see point two, was Bethel to the north, 35 miles. I, I need a better map. Uh, 35 miles to the north, to the south would be 35 miles to Beersheba. Jericho, 25 miles to the east, or to the Jordan River, basically. And then 25 miles to the west, to Ano. Uh, and, and, uh, and so everybody is there. Now watch this. Within three days, they all show up. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. This is December. This is the latter rains. This is the winter season. Things... It's going to get, it's 40 to 50 degrees, and it's raining. It starts raining in October and quits mid-April, but it's, it's torn, downpour in December during this time. It's cold, the coldest it gets. Sometimes it snows. It's the coldest it gets, and it's pouring rain, and they're on the Temple Mount for this assembly. They could say, well, this spring we should get together and have an assembly. No, you've got three days. You've got, what, 24 48. So you got 72 hours to be here. But it's raining. It's freezing out. Not 32 degrees freezing, but we'll use that phrase. So they show up. And that's, that, that explains this rest of this verse. They've already said the people were terrified or trembling because of they violated the word of God. And they know what will happen if they violate God's word. And they know what has happened because God is pleased with them. The Persians have shown them favor. What happens if God gets displeased and the Persians turn on us? So they, they understand the consequences. But watch this. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of the Lord, or the house of God. So there's the temple. There's your open you know, platform. You maybe see pictures of it that, you know, in the Jerusalem book, or you can see diagrams. There's, there's open area for a large group to assemble. Well, they're all out there on the pavement in the open sky, in the open square before the house of God, trembling. Now, why are they trembling? It tells you right there. It's under, I underline it for you. Because of this matter, they're trembling because some of the women here or back home are not supposed to be here. And God is going to bring us judgment. And it says, because of the heavy rain. So they're trembling emotionally with fear of God. And they're trembling physically because it's cold and it's raining and it's not letting up. And we're standing in the open courts. We've been here how long? Okay, so that's kind, of inter- that's kind of interesting. Chapter 10, verse 10. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, so Ezra's going to make a speech. 
You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increase the guilt of Israel. Meaning we are in trouble. I mean, they're taking God serious. It's not just you've made me mad, you violated my rule. It's like you violate a rule that God will bring, ju- he's done brought judgment before. He will now, instead of showing his favor, he'll start bringing judgment. They're afraid of God's judgment. Oh, uh, God, he'll be fine. He'll get over it. It's like they're terrified of God's judgment. He says it right here. And so increase the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Confess your sin and fix it. And how would you fix it? Separate yourself from the peoples of the land and from your foreign wives. Now, we've been talking about the foreign wives, but they're also in business, in league. They're cooperating. They're, they're moving in. They're, they're just, Israel's just melting into the Samaritan culture. I guess it's going to be a problem throughout, you know. You can see it being a problem in the New Testament time. But nonetheless, separate yourself from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice. Now here's the positive response. It is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many. In other words, we, yes, we'll do this. But, 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 but there's so, so, so many people here. And it's raining. I, I, I don't think we can take care of this today, Ezra. Ezra, I want it done now. They go, we, we will, but we, we got to have some time. So they're, gonna, they're asking for not, not time to get away with something or prepare a legal case, but we can't fix this today. You do understand, Ezra, you're not going to have this fixed by 3 o'clock or before the evening sacrifice. But the people are many, and it is, it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, Ezra. We cannot be out here. Nor is this a task for one day or two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. There are a lot of foreign women mixed in with us. And we don't even know where they're all at. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. <coughs> Let all of our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. We're going to choose an assembly of men. They're going to like a, like a Sanhedrin, like a consul. And then from every city, they're going to be a day we're going to appoint. They're going to bring their elders. Uh, they're going to bring their leaders. And they're going to have investigated the families themselves. Bring those men in. They're going to be a case. We're going to look into it. And we'll identify who is the people that need to be sent away. So they got it organized. You see how that's organized? Let all in all of our cities who have taken foreign wives come at an appointed time. If you've got an appointed uh, a foreign wife, we'll give you a time to come. And your elders from your city will come. Only now, here's your negative, those that oppose it. Verse chapter, and it doesn't say much about it. Chapter 10, verse 15. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashiel, Ashiel, and Jehaziel, no, 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 Jaziah, the son of Tikva, opposed this. And Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levites, supported them. So you got two Levites and two other men says, no. This is not right. Now, you can, we really don't know why. I mean, common sense would say they've married foreign women. We're not going to do this. Maybe they've got friends married foreign women. Maybe they say this is too legalistic. This is not, you're following the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Maybe they're saying, we don't have time for this. We've got to keep working on the temple, whatever. They opposed it. That's the last thing we hear of it. They, there's four guys opposed it. Chapter 10, verse 16. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men 
heads of the father's houses, according to their father's houses, each of them designated by name. And then on the first day of the tenth month, right here, they sat down to examine the matter. And they're going to spend, uh, right here, you can see right here, they're going to spend around uh, 89 days. You say 89, I, I added up 89 days. A commentary says 75 days. So from the time that they assembled their committee and started having people come in, they're going to be spending about 75 days. I, I counted 89 days. Again, I'm just doing it real fast. To investigate, and they're going to find 110 cases, or I counted, I found about 112 or 115, depending on how you count them. So, but if you look at that right there, if there's, if there's 75 days and 110 guilty cases, they're basically finding two guilty, or trying two cases, less than two cases a day. Uh, so by the first day of the first month, they had come to an end of all the men who had married foreign women. So their local communities did the research, found out the foreign families, sent the men with their wives in. They were examined. Here's what you're going to have to do. And then here's the list. I wrote this. This is not in the text of Scripture. I wrote, the men found to be guilty of marrying foreign women in Judea. That's what I wrote. That's not in the text. Chapter 10, verse 18. Now here were found some of the sons of the priest who had married foreign women. One, two, three, four. And then some of the sons of Joshua, the son of Jozadek, and his brother. So <clears throat> there's four. And then there's six, seven, eight, nine. And then we continue with the priest. They pledged themselves. Here's what they did. They pledged. Here's what they did. These, are the, these priests said this. They pledged themselves to put away their wives. I will send my wife away. And their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. So send her away, come to the temple, let us see the paperwork that she's no longer with you, and offer a ram. So that's how those guys recovered. They pledged, okay, uh, chapter 10, verse 20, of the sons, and we will assume something like that happened with each of these men. Of the sons of Emer, it gives you two names, the sons of Haram, one, two, three, four, five, of the sons of Peshur, one, two, <coughs> three, four, five, six. Those were the priests. Those were all priests. So those were the people offering the sacrifices that were already, their wives are at home burning incense to other gods. I mean, it's like, it's not about the, the women. They may be fine people. It's not about the race. It, it, the, there's nothing about race. It's that these women were not worshiping Yahweh. They're worshiping somebody else. So you go worship Yahweh on the Temple Mount and then go home and you've got all this witchcraft and stuff going on in your house. It's like, no, we're not going to do that. Now again, as a Christian, you have trouble with that. Chapter 10, verse 23, of the Levites, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, of the singers, Eliashib, of the gatekeepers, 1, 2, 3, and now, and of Israel, the sons of Paras. And again, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Now, if that is one man and his seven sons, or if that's you know, a, a, a grandfather, great-grandfather of the family of Parash, there were seven. And they may be, you know, brothers or nephews or cousins or something. But anyway, you can see the family. Elam, Zatua. Uh, we continue on page 7. The sons of, Now, again, you see on your, in your text, you just have line after, just, just sentences, and it, it doesn't have the visual effect. It's just like a bunch of names. And for here, kind of, I, I did it like this, so for me it looks, have like a feel for what's going on. But sons of Babel, sons of Bani, sons of 
Now watch this name, Pahath Moab. His Part of his name is Moab. The sons of Hiram, the sons of Hashem. We're almost done, folks. Uh, the sons of Bani, and then Bani, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There's a dozen guys from that family. Sons of Benui, and then finally the sons of Nebo, and that's the last one that's mentioned. You can go through and count those up and find out how many guilty men had foreign wives that were sent away and probably had to bring a ram in for the sacrifice. At least those priests did. Chapter, 40, chapter 10, verse 44, the last verse in Ezra. All these had married foreign women, and some of the women have even, had even born children. So the women were sent away, the children were sent away. We're going to purify this. And again, the issue is not the race. It's not the women. The issue is Yahweh worship and not this demonic stuff that led them into uh, astray that, uh, well, we go through it. We went through it before. And again, some of it was very, very corrupt, the practices. That ends the book of Ezra. And uh, we go back next week. We'll come back to, ne- or we'll go to Nehemiah. And then don't forget the calendar on the table back there. I can't even tell you off the top of my head. I know it's the last two days or the first class of August. There's no class. And then sometime in around the 20th, there's no class on Tuesday night. So uh, I'm going to go see Hawkeye, and then I'm going to go celebrate our anniversary uh, because we're going to be selling our 42nd anniversary, right? So uh, I'm not sending my wife away although she's been tempted to send me away a couple times. <laughs> so, all right, I'll pray, and we're free to go. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask again that we would handle them diligently, that we'd allow your spirit to speak to us and lead us the way you want us to go in our time, in our history, with our lives. And we do ask that we'd be people that would be effective in bringing about the truth, bringing about change towards Christ, not just in our own lives and our families, but across our nation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.